Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, who was charged with the reckless homicide of Joseph Rosenbaum, the intentional homicide of Anthony Huber, and the attempted intentional homicide of Gage Grosskreutz. As Rittenhouse was the undisputed shooter of all three men, his legal team argued that the shootings were in self-defense. In our last episode exploring the Rittenhouse trial testimony, we continued our coverage of defense attorney Mark Richards' cross of Detective Martin Howard, including his presentation of the defense's perspective on some of the video clips introduced by the prosecution. On today's episode, we start with a look at the dismissal of one of the jurors in the case based on a joke told by the juror about the shooting of Jacob Blake. We then conclude our exploration of Richard's cross-examination of Detective Howard. And finally, we examine Prosecutor Thomas Binger's redirect and Richard's recross of the witness. That's all coming up right after the break. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. As they were wrapping up day two of this trial, Prosecutor Thomas Binger raised with Judge Bruce Schrader an issue regarding one of the jurors. You had advised us earlier today of an issue with regard to juror number seven and a a joke he attempted to tell to a deputy after court yesterday. Well, that was what was reported to me and I haven't heard the juror's side of it. Okay. I believe that it would be appropriate for the state to move to strike that juror for cause. Judge Schrader acknowledged his concern about the jurors' alleged behavior, but stated that they should adjourn for the day and pick it up the next morning. When court reconvened the next day, it was the first item that the judge addressed, and Corey Shirafasi responded for the defense. We have a couple of items to deal with. The first is uh, the issue with respect to juror number, is it number seven? Yes. Seven. And uh, it was reported to me that while being escorted to, he uh, travels differently from the other jurors because he's uh, using that scooter. And uh, it was reported to me that while being escorted to the car, he um, asked, I'm gonna summarize what I remember what I was told, uh, that the, uh, he, he was telling a joke and he told the uh, juror, or the juror, he told the officer, you know, he, he made a reference to telling a joke about uh, why did it take seven shots to shoot Jacob Blake, something to that effect. It, 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 dealt with shots and it dealt with Jacob Blake. And I did uh, reveal it to you attorneys yesterday and uh, they closed the day uh, after giving it some thought. Uh, there was a request by the state to excuse number seven. 
and uh, the last word ahead was the defense objected. Well, Judge, I think that it, I would object to at least having the, I would ask that the juror come in. Well, oh, I want to hear his right. side of it before I do yes. anything. Right. Uh, but I did want to get your position. That's or you don't want to form a position until you've heard from him? I think that's the appropriate thing to do. Okay. And I think you're right. Um, so uh, let's. Can I add a little bit, Your Honor? Oh, please do. Yes. Um, what I heard and, um, from you yesterday, and I understand this is literally fourth hand from the juror to Lieutenant Zerline to you to us. So I wasn't there. I don't know exactly what the juror said, but it was my understanding. It was something along the lines of, why did the Kenosha police shoot Jacob Blake seven times? That's what I thought you had said to us. And that, that, that may have been. Sure. That puzzled me for a moment. It's, and you made it sound like it was the beginning of a joke. Um, so I wondered what the rest of the joke is. Uh, it's my understanding that the rest of the joke is because they ran out of bolts. To me, that is, in, uh, anyone who would find that funny uh, would be uh, finding the implication that if the Kenosha police had more than seven bullets, they would have continued to shoot Jacob Blake as uh, funny, uh, which I do not. Uh, the joke is in bad taste. There are a plethora of bad jokes out there about everything to do with all of this. Uh, this is one of them. Uh, but I think this, the rest of this joke, as it were, suggests a uh, some sort of uh, racial bias, uh, which I think comes into play in the subtext of this case. And beyond that, for a juror in the midst of a trial like this, well, you know, which well, stems from the Jacob Blake, may, may I finish on her? No, sorry. you can't, because I think that the better course is to let the juror respond, and then, um, and then I'll, I'll certainly want to hear what you have, the rest of what you have to say. Uh, but uh, I, I would think it would become better after he's had a chance to respond. Sure. Jacob Blake, a 29-year-old black man, was shot seven times in the back by Rustin Shesky, a white Kenosha police officer, outside an apartment building on August 23, 2020. Police had been called to the building by a woman who had previously filed a sexual assault complaint against Blake. Following the shooting, Jacob Blake was left paralyzed from the waist down. Both police and Blake have acknowledged that he was holding a knife when he was shot, though Blake says he was moving to place it in his car after it fell from his pants. It was this shooting that triggered the protests and the ensuing civil unrest in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Although juror anonymity has been strictly enforced by Judge Schrader in light of the controversial nature of this trial, reports stated that juror number seven is a retired white man. The joke was made to a court police officer as the juror was being escorted to his vehicle, and the officer reported the incident to Judge Bruce Schrader. Juror seven enters the courtroom and stands before the judge. Uh, okay, I, the reason I asked you to come down was um, there was a... Uh, I was told that uh, while you were being escorted to the car uh, the other day, that you uh, began to tell a joke um, about the shooting of Jacob Blake. And I wanted to see, if, is that accurate or not? not it is? Okay. Um, uh, are you comfortable repeating what the joke was, or do you want to just leave it alone? I, I'm going to tell you that... Um, uh, I, I spoke about, um, well, I guess I'll hear from Mr. Uh, did you want to finish what you were saying? I will tell you, I will tell you that um, I've talked quite a bit about public confidence in the outcome of the trial. 
and regardless of whether uh, the uh, issue is as grave as you presented it in terms of inner feelings, uh, it is clear that the appearance of bias is present and it would seriously undermine the, the uh, outcome of the case. Uh, so that in itself would be sufficient cause for discharge. But if you want to expand on that, you're welcome to. No, you are. Did you want to say anything, defense? If, it, if number seven's unwilling to, to repeat it, what it was, um, I think we're at a disadvantage. Um, and I suppose his unwillingness could be taken in the worst light. Um, so based on the unwillingness at this point, I think it's probably the proper course. Okay. All right. I think uh, the best thing out of the circumstances, I'm going to dismiss you from the jury, sir. Uh, and we do thank you for taking the time to come down here. Thank you. Before he leaves, Juror 7 makes a final plea to Judge Schrader. My feeling is that it was nothing to do with the case. It wasn't in his seven chart. No, no, no. Here, and, and I have not, I, I've not stated that you have, uh, it's not, you know, one of the things that I have to do when I have to make judgments, I try to confine my judgments to the things I have to judge and not to forming opinions about other people other than that. So I don't want to get into that. The point I'm making is that the public needs to be confident that this is a fair trial. And I think even at the at the very most, it was a it was bad judgment to tell a joke of that nature. Okay, so that's okay. Thank you very much, sir. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. After Juror 7 is dismissed, the rest of the jury is escorted back into the courtroom. Judge Schrader takes a moment to update the jurors on their fellow panelists' dismissal and then invites defense attorney Mark Richards to continue his cross-examination of Detective Martin Howard. Richards begins by asking Howard about a 57-page police report that he wrote summarizing the Kenosha Police Department's involvement in the case. Richards flips to the end of the document and finds a reference to a thumb drive given to Detective Howard by the FBI, on which was a file of a video recording. Richards then reads from Detective Howard's notes about the contents of the video. At 41 seconds into the video, something appears to draw the attention of the videographer. The video quickly pans to the right, parent to the north, close parent, and directly to Kyle Rittenhouse and Joseph Rosenbaum. When the video reaches them, a male voice is heard yelling, gun, gun, gun. You won't do shit, motherfucker, exclamation mark. This appears to be Joseph Rosenbaum 
yelling. Do you remember that? Yes. This is the video you're speaking of? Yes. Okay, please play the video. In the video clip, we see the car source lot moments before the fatal shooting of Joseph Rosenbaum. We hear thuds and bangs of unknown origin, and we hear a voice commenting on the vandalism sustained by a Duramax pickup truck. Just before the clip is paused, we hear a voice yell, gun, 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 and then very faintly, you won't do shit, motherfucker. And we see Kyle Rittenhouse standing on Sheridan Road, startled, and then chased into the lot by a figure who later is identified as Joseph Rosenbaum. Duramax just got off. My Duramax got fucking beat, yo. Damn, homie's out here. This guy just almost left. Good damn. Whopper. Richards asks the AV technician to pause the video. Here's enhanced audio of the moment that Richard highlights from Detective Howard's report. Richards then brings his cross-examination of Detective Howard to a close with these questions. And you hear the words that Mr. Rosenbaum uses, and you opine that that is, in fact, Mr. Rosenbaum's voice, correct? Yes. And that opinion is based upon you listening to other vi um, videos that have Mr. Rosenbaum's voice on them, correct? Yes, and also what is depicted in the video. Okay. And that's Kyle with a gun and Mr. Rosenbaum chasing him. Yes. I have nothing further. And with that, Mark Richards returns to the defense table and Prosecutor Thomas Binger approaches the lectern for his redirect of Detective Howard. The first area that he tackles is the implication raised by the defense that the complaining witness, Gage Grosskreutz, was given preferential treatment by the police at the behest of the prosecutor's office, first with respect to the execution of a search warrant for Mr. Grosskreutz's phone. Yesterday you were asked about that search warrant that you obtained for Mr. Grosskreutz's phone, is that correct? Correct. At the time that you obtained that search warrant, did you consider Mr. Grosskreutz to be a victim of a crime? Yes. You mentioned something called Marcy's Law yesterday. What is that, to, as you understand it? Marcy's Law is a relatively new law in the state of Wisconsin, which grants victims more rights. And you, I think you mentioned yesterday that at that time it wasn't clear to you and uh, the department uh, what the effect of Marcy's law and those enhanced protections for victims would have on your ability to get search warrants for phones in this type of situation. Is that fair to say? Yeah, so my, my intent when I wrote the search warrant was to obtain more information, and I was not thinking about Marcy's law as I was writing the search warrant, but I started thinking about it afterwards and wanted to err on the side of caution in respect of Mr. Grosskreutz's rights. Prosecutor Binger then pivots to address the second area of preferential treatment allegedly shown to Mr. Grosskreutz by the police, the fact that Gage Grosskreutz's witness statement was not recorded. Is it fair to say, Detective, that when you're dealing with someone that you, you consider to be the victim of a crime, 
you typically do not record those interviews with audio or visual. Is that fair to say? Yes. Prosecutor Binger next addresses the point made by Richards on cross that the police never were able to identify the apparently unarmed man who first kicked at Kyle Rittenhouse while he was on the ground immediately before he shot Anthony Huber and Gage Grosskreutz. You were asked a question regarding the individual who has not been identified, the individual who came in and attempted to kick Mr. Rittenhouse in the face. Um, and uh, you indicated, despite your efforts, that person has not come forward and you've not been able to identify him. Is that correct? Correct. In the 14 months that you've been investigating this case, have you experienced individuals who have been reluctant to come forward and provide information? We experienced a lot of reluctance and gathering information in this investigation. Why do you think that is? Mark Richards objects that the question calls for speculation by the witness, and Judge Schrader sustains the objection. Binger moves on to address the defense allegation that earlier in the evening, Joseph Rosenbaum was armed with a chain. In your investigation, have you seen any indication that Mr. Rosenbaum possessed that chain at the ultimate gas station on the southeast corner of 60th and Sheridan? No. The defense has alluded to Mr. Rosenbaum being involved in verbal disputes, altercations, whatever you want to call them. There's a dumpster involved, etc. At any point in any of those scenes at Ultimate Gas Station, does Mr. Rosenbaum have any sort of weapon in his hand? Just a plastic bag. Just the plastic bag? Yes. No gun? No. No knife? No. No chain? Not at Ultimate Gas, no. No baseball bat or club or any kind like that? No. As far as you can tell on all those videos, is the only thing he's ever holding in his hand that plastic bag? South of 60th Street, yes. As he's, you've seen the video of Mr. Rosenbaum walking south on Sheridan towards the 63rd uh, Street car source where he is shot by the defendant, correct? Yes. As he's walking down that street, is there any indication at any point that he's ever armed with anything? Just a plastic bag in his hand. Doesn't have a gun, correct? Correct. No knife? No knife. Richards again objects, this time on the basis that Binger's questions have already been asked and answered. This is a different part of the, the sequence. Overall. No gun? No. No knife? No. No baseball bat or club? No. No chain? No. Obviously, in the end, at the interact, the time that he is shot and killed by the defendant at the 63rd Street car source. Is there any evidence in the record of any kind that you've seen as the lead detective in the case that Mr. Rosenbaum was armed with a weapon? No, he had the plastic bag, which he threw and then had nothing in his hands after that. Binger uses the video by Blaze reporter Drew Hernandez in an apparent attempt to try to combat the defense suggestion that Joseph Rosenbaum sought to ambush Kyle Rittenhouse. But Binger's intent in questioning Howard on this point is never entirely clear, and he moves on to ask the witness about the shot fired by Joshua Zeminski. There's been a lot of testimony regarding uh, the shot that was fired by Joshua Zeminski. Have you watched uh, the videos that show Mr. Zeminski firing that shot? Yes. Where is he pointing the gun? Straight up in the air. You also testified that the lapse in time between that gunshot and the defendant shooting Mr. Rosenbaum was two and a half seconds, 2.5 seconds. Is that right? Approximately, yes. 
You said you based that on timing it with a stopwatch? Yes. Did you do that based on one of the videos in the case? No, I believe I did it with approximately five or six of the videos. So you went through five or six videos and each one of them timed it with a stopwatch and determined that they're all right about 2.5 seconds? Yes. I have nothing further. Prosecutor Binger concludes his redirect and Richards returns to the lectern and first reasserts that Rosenbaum was in fact positioned between two vehicles as support for the defense narrative that he was lying in wait to jump Rittenhouse. He then moves on to renew his inquiry regarding the search warrant for Gage Grosskreutz's phone, this time taking a new tack. And you testified on redirect about Marcy's law. Do you remember that? Yes. And you were told by someone, or Detective Antoramia was told us by somebody about Marcy's law, and you couldn't go in the phone even though there's a signed search warrant, correct? It was airing on the side of caution. Okay. Correct me if I'm wrong, but your department went into Mr. Huber's phone without a search warrant. He's deceased. He's still a complaining witness, deceased or victim, however you want to label him, correct? I think it's different if, if someone is deceased, then they, are, they don't even have the ability to give consent. They're a state, correct? What I'm getting at is you went in the phone without a warrant for Mr. Huber, correct? We don't need search warrants if they're deceased. That's your opinion, correct? Yes. Okay. You went and you got a search warrant, which you drafted and really affiant, meaning you swore to it for Mr. Grosquitz's phone, correct? Correct. And then it was never executed, correct? No, because I did not feel comfortable with my knowledge of Marcy's law, and I wanted to err on the side of caution with that. Finally, Richards goes on the attack, openly asserting that it was the prosecution and not the detective who made the decision to invoke Marcy's law with respect to Gage Grosskreutz. He's nodding at you right now, is he? He's what? I'm pointing at Mr. Binger as he's nodding at you. Right? I was not even looking at Mr. Binger. I was looking at you. Okay. Last night during the break overnight, did you talk about this testimony? No. Nobody from... Can I finish the question? Finish. Nobody from the Racine Dis Kenosha District Attorney's Office about this issue. Never talked about it. No. Okay. If you don't have a search warrant, you can get into the phone other ways, correct? Which phone are we talking about? Grosswitz's. I see you have consent on one side or a search warrant on the other side. Okay. And consent was asked for, correct? Correct. Was turned out, correct? Correct. Nothing further. And with that, Detective Howard is excused as a witness, and we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. Join us on our next episode as we explore the direct examination of Richie McGinnis, the videographer for The Daily Caller, who followed immediately behind Kyle Rittenhouse and Joseph Rosenbaum in the moments leading up to Rittenhouse's fatal shooting of Rosenbaum. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. You can find more information about this trial at CrimeStory.com. Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. 
This episode was written by Dewana Spates. It was co-produced by Chris Taracone and Aaron Karenik, and it was edited by Chris Taracone. Our consulting producer is Brittany Bookbinder. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and Trial Audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse.